Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Today, we will be your coach in assertiveness training for the ladies. The ladies need to get more assertive, apparently. They need to be more assertive, which, honestly, not a problem on my team. I have three ladies that are super assertive. I have a wife, fairly assertive, a mother, hyper-assertive. James has a new girlfriend, Malele. Very assertive. Is she assertive? Yeah. And it's she's not quite new. I mean, we... You have a new... I was going to say old, but old is not a term many ladies want to be called. Well, that's true. Good call. She's a young but seasoned girlfriend. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) And she is assertive. Is she assertive? Yes, she is. Is that why you bought her knives? Yes, which we used again this last weekend. Did you get into something up? What'd you make? What'd you make? We made a uh, a um, tomato sauce uh, penne pasta. Oh, so it was great. Tomato sauce penne pasta. Yeah, and it was actually funny story. Just real quick. Let's go. We got nothing but time. Yeah, perfect. So we made it from made the sauce from scratch. Well, we we used some different uh, canned tomatoes. We had like wow. tomato paste, tomato sauce, uh-huh. and everything. And it was great because we were making the sauce. It simmered for about 30 minutes, and we were taste testing it. Mm. And it had some zing to it. And we're zing. like, whoa, where is this zing coming from? Yeah. Because it was a really simple recipe. And Piece of the knife. Yeah, it was a piece the... of the knife. No, it was not. That's the zap. It was funny, though, because we, like, we were totally— What was the zing? Well, we didn't know. And then I was like, oh, let's check the can. And <gasps> I went over, looked at the diced tomatoes, and in big letters it says, diced tomatoes. And in tiny little letters below it says, with jalapenos. Ooh. Oh. So it's like— Oh, well, so now tomato sauce with... I thought you were going to say that it was like it had fermented. That's what I thought. that's possible. No, that's what I thought because I was like, there's no reason why it should be tasting like this (laughs) because it's a really powerful sauce. How fun is that? You guys cook together and you poison each other together. Yeah, it was great. Well, we thought... Well, they do everything together. (laughs) Romeo and Juliet. Couples that cook together die together. Yes, we poison each other. It's just like Romeo and Juliet. So romantic. Would you say say that... um, Milana, yeah, is uh, is is assertive though. She speaks her mind. Definitely, does she? Yeah, and even in the cooking scenario, I'm the sous chef. She's the chef. Wow, there you she's go. She's very assertive. You're the knife sharpener. Yeah, she's the knife thrower. <laughs> there you go. I guess. Is that how that works? That's well, usually how it works in most marriages. Yeah. Is your wife uh, assertive? Yeah. She ever, you know, puts you in your place. Mm. Possibly. Let's talk about that. <laughs> What'd she do? What'd she say? I have no idea. Did she say, hey, I've had it? No. We've never really argued that much. We do argue, but you know. that's not what she said. Okay. When she called for help, mm-hmm. she said, help me, Matt. Hey, are you coming to my date night? I'm trying to. Okay. Are you gonna Thanks bring for her? ruining the surprise. <laughs> Well, you're welcome. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I don't really have a I don't really have a date because I know she's listening right now. <sighs> That's why you were saying she's, she's she's not too aggressive. Well, she's in car in the carpool line right now, waiting for the kids to come out of. Don't you wonder what she's thinking right now? 
No, she knows what we're doing Saturday now. <laughs> you told her that. I didn't tell her that. Man. Yeah. You should have said, no, we can't make it. We've got an, I'm mm-hmm. taking her out on a date. A Night. surprise date. Mm-hmm. You got to try some of those diced tomatoes with jalapeno. Jalapeno? It's great. It's mm-hmm. to die for. Hey, here's the deal. What? A lot of times there's this mistaken idea that women speak more than men. Have you ever had that? Have you ever believed that? I would think it's situational, really. See, but men are pretty convinced that women speak a lot more. And it's, a used, stere- it's a stereotype. Well, there also yes. used to be. I mean, a lot of like academics would even throw that number out there that men mm-hmm. speak about a third as much as women, and it's not true. Now, it's not true in just regular conversation, but it's also not true in some research we just found about when you're speaking in a when women are speaking in a group of people. Mm-hmm. If they are in the minority, women speak considerably less than everyone else. That's interesting. Women do not throw their voice out there. They don't put it out there. Yeah. See, like, our, I mean, it's interesting because... Well, they're not ventriloquists. They don't throw their voice. Anyway. No, I, uh, metaphorically speaking. Yeah, metaphorically speaking. Um, scholars at Brigham Young University and Princeton examined whether women speak less than men when a group collaborates to solve problems. In most groups that they studied, the time that women spoke was significantly less than their proportional representation, amounting to less than 75% of the time that men speak. That's because men just keep talking about sports and sports and, oh, did you see that? But you know what else? See, some, some of the research actually shows that men speak more when they're in a group like that to seemingly impress others. They're, trying, they're fighting for position. Yeah. Hmm. And women aren't always going to fight for position. Now, anyway, the True. new study basically just says it was published in a top academic journal in political science called American Political Science Review. Women have something unique and important to add to the group, and that's being lost, at least under some circumstances, said Chris Karpowitz from BYU. He's a political scientist here at BYU. Hmm. And uh, here's the problem. When we're in consensus building and we're trying to you know, build – like for example, on a board, a school board or a governing board in an organization or a firm or legislative committees, if women are in the minority on those committees, even though they're trying to do something collaborative, they're going to speak significantly less. And if they're speaking significantly less on all of these boards and if they're always underrepresented, right? So if, if a woman is on a board where she doesn't – she's not the majority, she's going to speak less on the board statistically. So imagine what we're missing. Imagine. So is it the fact that the women speak less or is it because there's more men in the room, you have more male voices happening because the number of men is more? Women speak 75% of the time that men speak proportional to – as an individual. So she speaks 75% of what the average other man would speak. Okay, Isn't that amazing? It's probably a little of both I'd imagine though. I think – I mean we could – It's got to be like an average because there's some women who are going to speak more. Well, yeah, yeah. So this would be the average over their study. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is men would like to think it's because they're so in awe of what the men are saying. No. They're not. I, see, I wouldn't say that at all. They're not Some men that. will, yes. But right. I wouldn't. So sadly. Because I can tell you, in, in the morning meetings that I have for church, yeah. we have a group. There's, there's about six or seven men in the room and about three women. Yeah. There's a lot more women speak going on in that yeah. room than there are men than there is yeah. men speak, which says says a lot. Yeah, it says a lot. So sadly, we we may be listening or losing the voice of a really important perspective, and we didn't even know it. 
Because you're like, well, she wanted to say something. She'd say something. Sad. Interesting. It's not a problem we have on our team. No, it's not. On our I team, we have what? Three men? No, four men, three women. Yep. The show's even under my name. But I feel like well, it's actually being run. There's, by... there's one woman here who thinks it's under her name, so. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's got to. That's, that's the job of the executive. By the person. way, you were asking about my wife putting me in my place. She said, I already had it figured out. Don't blame Matt. Yeah. <laughs> she already knows how to put you in your place. She's a saint. She's a saint because she married you. She saved thousands of people. And, and thousands of dollars at the same time. It's like a Geico commercial. It is like a Geico commercial. Uh, anyway, today on the show, we're going to be talking about how women can become more assertive and what we're going to learn, I think, are principles, universal principles that will apply to everyone. Hello. We're also going to find out how your kids, how you can teach your kids to be a little bit more assertive. You know, not aggressive, assertive. It's different. There is a big difference, I think. We'll talk about that. The last thing we need in this world is more aggressive people. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look how long it took us to just seriously stun James into no longer being aggressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was thousands of volts on a little taser. Yeah, I am going to say it was electric, yeah. And then he finally figured it out. Now he's making jolting pasta with, with jalapenos. Milanka, <laughs> the Russian queen. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will be talking to our guest, Selena Rezvani, uh, about being a more assertive person, a more assertive woman. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. This girl is on fire. See, that's where you need to be assertive. Somebody needs to yell, fire, and put that girl out. The reality is, ladies, they're not opening up their mouths. And when they do, half the time we don't listen. And yet, sometimes we don't even notice. And then sometimes we, they get this bad idea or this bad, I don't know what you call it, just a bad judgment that all women do is talk. And apparently, according to the research we just talked about, it's not true. It's not true. So we're going to talk about being more assertive. Uh, and again, all the principles we're, we're here to teach are to teach everybody. Every principle we're going to learn today will help any gender. But man, if we are really only truly, according to that BYU study, hearing 25% of um, – of the amount of time that men are speaking in a meeting – that's – women are speaking 75 percent of what they – the men are speaking. Does that make sense? That sounds weird. But we – women speak less than 75 percent of the time that men are speaking in meetings where we're supposed to be building collaboration. And for heaven's sakes, I'm convinced we might be able to change a lot of the world's problems if we uh, would maybe – not aid, allow them to speak more, make sure that we're hearing them more, but listen to a lot of what they're saying and use that collaboration to help change our lives and the world. Again, everybody has got a lot to add. And um, when we come down to it, these principles, I think, can help us truly change our world. Our guest today is Selena Resvani, 
And Selena is a recognized author, speaker, a consultant on women and leadership. Her mission is to propel more women into leadership roles and position um, in an inclusive workplace. She wants to help to see if she can't create a more inclusive workplace and use it as a competitive advantage. She's, she's the author of two books, The Next Generation of Women Leaders, What You Need to Lead But Won't Learn in Business School, which was published in 2009, and her latest book, which was published in 2012, Pushback, How Smart Women Ask and Stand Up for What They Want. Uh, we're so excited to have her. Selena Resvani, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for the invitation. I, I love this topic. Oh, it's you know what? And it really, I, I don't know if you just heard that, that study that was out of Princeton and BYU about um, how when, when it's a collaborative setting and the group is trying to collaborate, women, their voices are not equally or proportionally represented. They actually speak less than 75% of the time that men are speaking in collaborative settings. Does that jive with a lot of your work and research? You know, it really does. So that's um, unsurprising, as sobering a statistic as that is. You know, negotiating is just one more vehicle for yeah. using your voice. I mean, it's amazing. Well, and it, I mean, yeah. I think we just assume, well, they're in the room. And this could be in Congress. They're in Congress, for heaven's sakes. Open up your mouth. But in reality, there's got to be other principles at play here than to, to be heard. Absolutely. I mean, look, any form of speaking up for yourself or self-advocacy requires you to not be too deferential. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You can't defer too much to the other people in the room if you're going to pipe up and say what's on your mind. And, and that's half of this. Well, what, what, so you're calling this yourself? Is that what self advocacy is? So advocating your own position, your own voice, and you have to step up and get your voice in the room without being a jerk, right? Without being a jerk. And by the way, for women, this this is a little more loaded. You know, I think there's a reason we see this with the right. Princeton and BYU study. Talk about um, it. You know, we we grew, women grow up with a lot more kind of good girlisms. What I call Good girlisms, being accommodating, yep. be nice, share, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, always tend to the relationship. Yeah, all the soft, it kind of soft, like you're caring, you're yeah. loving, you're nurturing. Right. Some of these things, if you think about it, are in direct opposition to take a stand, right. say the unpopular thing, ask for what you want. And, you know, there's research that shows men and women both see men as more likable when they negotiate or when they ask for what they want. So we carry all of us some of these, you know, beliefs into adulthood and into the workplace. We see that and we won't use the word, but women get called names if they come off too strong. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, they're a witch for being, you know, for voicing their opinion, but a man's just being strong. Right. And is that so is that is that I guess is that just cultural and and now we've kind of it's ingrained in I I guess it's just ingrained in the culture that if women are being too strong, they're just I don't know, they're a loose cannon. Yeah, I think that it's very hard to find that line. You know, it's increasingly hard to find that line of how can I be firm but nice. Yeah. And I personally think those two things can coexist. I think you can be firm but nice, respectful of the person, hard on the problem, 
Yeah. You know, and, and that's what I train many women to shoot for. You know, don't fold at the first sight of debate or confrontation. Hang in there. Go a few rounds. Yeah. But, um, you know, keep it. Stay proud of, of your behavior and the way you're acting in that room. And, I mean, it almost seems like if we could stay – keep some of those, I guess, soft qualities of nice and understanding and communicative and empathic and add that to, you know, assertive, you might have like a perfect combination of a negotiation. Right. So it's not I, like I we need to get rid of them, huh? We don't need to get rid of those – Techniques and have everybody take on a historically male-dominated negotiation no, style, but right. instead and, and, bring the others. Yeah, I think I'm not a huge fan of some of the training that kind of teaches you to be a man. I mean, oh. I think women have really great uh, advantages in some ways sure. uh, in terms of the style and the strengths they bring you bet. to self-advocating and negotiating. Well, and leadership, right? I mean, we're, we already see the, the movement. And I used to be with a big uh, consulting firm that would go and, and teach in corporate America. And we, we're teaching things today that we weren't teaching 50 years ago, like empathy and reflective uh-huh. listening. And they, we're teaching a complete, completely different set of skills, which to me, a lot of people would say, oh, those are, you know, those are the female traits. And I'm like... No, these are the effective traits. So let's bring all of the effective principles into the game and let's all learn what we need to learn. Let's men maybe learn to listen more, make sure voices are being heard, and women need to maybe advocate a little stronger. Right, absolutely. And and since there are kind of more men in leadership roles, one great thing they can do is encourage their mentees, you know, or the women they manage on their team to pipe up, yeah. to make that request, um, or to put that great idea across in a meeting. That's great. Talk about um, pleasers, because I guess genders aside, anybody that's just there trying to please people and make everybody happy, that's got to be impacting their career, because they aren't saying what needs to be said. Yeah, I agree with you. And as a kind of recovering pleaser myself, I... I <laughs> I realized you try to please everybody, you often end up pleasing no one, including yourself, you know? So I think, see it this way, see it as confusing people and even misleading them. You're you're not coming from a place of integrity or honesty if all you're trying to do is please and nod your head yes. Um, You might even act passive aggressive, right? If, If you try to please and inside you really don't like the terms or you don't like the situation. The beauty of negotiating and being a little more assertive, it's the opposite. You air your issue or your request. You give the other side a chance to cure your pain, hmm. you know, and I, I love it because I think you get a reputation for being direct and candid, and that's a good thing. Absolutely. You know, not, not subversive and what, is, what does he really think or mean or what is she really feeling? Yeah. You know, you're, you're saying it. And it's out there. So, yeah, it's not as confusing because, yeah, we know where Selena stands because of that. She just said it. Um, Talk about how we how women, for example, advocate without bragging. It seems like in certain situations, men will stand up and, you know, say what they did and, and report in a way that they're always seemingly in the higher position in the in the better light. How, how do we 
How do we teach women and others to advocate without coming off braggy or cocky? Yeah, you know, if I'm going to ask you to negotiate, which I am, self-promoting is part and parcel of it, you know, and, and demonstrating your value, having a voice and an ability to talk about your value. My mantra is, if it's true, it's not bragging. Huh. So if you, Matt, brought in three new sponsors yeah. or four new clients or you saved the company 10% in operating costs, Say that. Own it. Yeah. You know, if you can keep your evidence pretty fact-based and verifiable, it's a lot less likely to sound braggy. Yeah. And it's it's uh, I love the idea. If keeping it factual, then it's not up for interpretation. It's just check the numbers. You're the one that gives me the numbers. Those are the numbers. Right. Yeah. Right. That's powerful. And the opposite of that, you know, the opposite of that is I really think I deserve this promotion because mm-hmm. I mean that's very easy to refute right that, that's very easy to say boy does that sound subjective yeah you know so when you keep it fact-based you're kind of that's making the argument for you that's right or, or fairness based mm-hmm. or you know what I mean like anything that's kind of anyway yeah even that just kind of like anybody that says that's not fair I've been here longer right. <laughs> well sure but quit crying is it? It's, yeah, a, it's a really, it it's a, a really little, sensitive line, isn't it? It is, and it sounds a little childlike. Yeah, you know, like like two siblings fighting over something. That's not going to sway people. It's <laughs> not going to uh, get yes answers from other people to say it's not fair. Really, make a compelling argument and try to ground it if you can in verifiable, factual, quantifiable things. Mm. So true. So good. Selena, let's Selena, let's take a break. I want to uh to come back and continue this discussion and continue to figure out what what else you teach. How, you know, how how are how do we empower women? How do we give them a stronger voice and uh and also make sure we're utilizing that voice in collaboration with others. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more with Selena Resvani, the author of the new book, Pushback, How Smart Women Ask and Stand Up for What They Want. We'll take a break. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. Today, we are talking about... Women and assertiveness, how women can be more assertive in the workplace. Again, uh, a lot of times, folks, their voices, even if they're um, in a meeting, their voices still aren't going to be apparently, rep, you know, uh, they're not going to voice at the same amount statistically as guys in a meeting uh, might put their voice out there. And so, We've got to figure out how to do this and some tools to be a little more assertive and walk that fine line between being assertive and just seriously a mean person. So Selena Resvani is joining us, and she is the author of the book Pushback, How Smart Women Ask and Stand Up for What They Want. Selena, welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much, Matt. So good to have you. Now, you you combined your MBA from Johns Hopkins and a Master's of Social Work degree from NYU, 
and and then you got into the speaking business, the consulting business. You're an author. I mean, is, did this all come from you just seeing a need in your research, or was this more personal? You know, I think with anything in life, if you have an interest or passion and you keep putting it on the shelf, yeah, it'll kind of pop back up and remind you it's there. And, <laughs> and that happened with me. That's right. You know, with exactly with this interest in empowering women at work, and and it just kept popping up, and and I finally gave it some attention during my MBA. I was able to focus a lot of independent study on women in leadership, and that that really took off. And um, there's a demand for it. There's oh yeah, a great demand for it. Well, there was a war on women. I mean, even though it didn't pan out politically for a while, but it, I mean, there's an issue where women aren't being heard. And I think that's creating some tension as well that, and some of it, I guess you're teaching us is women also have a responsibility to be more decisive, to share their voice more, to be a little more assertive, to get their, to get their traits out there. And I personally believe we need a lot of what, a lot of the traits that they bring. Women possess incredible traits and abilities that we're we are missing out on because we don't know how we're not incorporating them very well. Right. And for me, Matt, what what's exciting about negotiating, for example, is of all the things we need to wait on in society to maybe change yeah. um, for more women to join leadership ranks. This is something we can do. Yep. You know, this is something we can do more of. We we right now we do negotiate four times less often than men. Oh. Studies show that, and that that has big consequences. So, well, well, um, Don't women spend more money in the household budgets than the husbands do? They do. Women are like 80%, <laughs> you know, uh, in terms of the spenders on consumer goods. I mean, that's crazy. Like that, the, but they, they negotiate a quarter as much as the men. Right. And, and, you know, when you think about some of the not-so-fun aspects of that, you know, one in two marriages ends in divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, women are more likely to leave the workforce, you know, and yeah. have interrupted work service. So yeah. we're losing retirement in that way. Um, if we don't negotiate a salary, it might look like, well, I just am not going to negotiate it this time. Hmm. But think about it. That affects your retirement earnings. It affects the position you may be in if your relationship kind of does go south. Yeah. Um, you know, it hurts. It hurts you now, and it hurts you in the future when you don't do this. So, um, you know, add to that: women live longer than men. Yep. So, so we're kind of the ones I mean, left holding the purse. Yeah. Well, and I sit there and I think, and you, um, and they're making less per dollar than the average man. And if you're not in negotiating your salary, if you're not telling your boss and advocating for yourself what a great job you're doing, you're probably going to earn less. Right. You're, this, you know what? The squeaky wheel gets the oil, and, and nowhere is that more true than at work. What, what you is know, it? it yeah. Is, Oh, go ahead. That is often the person who's vocal, who's saying, can I have, right. who's getting it. So you know what's interesting? Because I think a lot of times when they hear about the war on women and um, a lot of men are like, what? I don't, I don't care. Let them in. But, and then, mm-hmm. but it's, it's two ways because we don't, the men may not even see the gaps where there's not 
there's not equality of voice and 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 opportunities and women need to step up and then men need to advocate and help the women step up around i mean it's everybody has to lift it's not a male against female thing is it it's just we just need to recognize it and everybody needs to get in the game to make it more you know more so we're more united yep i think you summarized it beautifully everybody has to lift and I think that makes it a little less of a you versus me yeah. situation when we look at it that way. Right. It's an overarching goal. I to, love it. You know, for all, for us to have a more competitive, you know, talent pool as well in this country, you know, to use everybody and everyone's smart. Yeah. Teach us what, teach us what we might be missing. So what are some of the traits that women possess that they should be bringing into the workforce that we, we may be missing out on simply because we're not, you know, we're not open to them. Sure. You know, specifically around advocating for yourself, what we know is that women are even more effective and even more aggressive negotiating when they're doing it for somebody else. Oh, really? So yeah. when they're negotiating on someone else's behalf, right, somehow that's more socially correct than doing it for ourselves. Hmm. Well, this is great. You need this in, as an employer, you know, you would love to have a tough, dogged advocate, right, working for you who's going to, you know, care about the, the company's reputation and relationships. Women have a really consultative style. And, and it translates well to tough conversations. And what I mean by that is it's you and I, Matt, yeah. versus the problem. Yeah. It's not you versus me, where somebody's going to get creamed and it's win-lose today. Um, you know, it's this style that builds trust. And, and everyone is talking about how every business is, is leaning more toward relationships. You bet. Being at, you know, the heart of, of their vitality. So um, what a great relationship building tool. On an even simple level in a negotiation, women have a great way of de-escalating a really hot, contentious conversation, you know, and making it productive again. Oh, totally. Um, you know, even, even being able to recognize and maybe help someone save face, yep. you know, to walk out of the room with dignity intact. Um, you know, sometimes you're going up for the same promotion as your peer. That's kind of a win-lose situation and how you conduct yourself counts. Look at that, though. I mean, and you just I just think of, you know, the standoff in Congress. I think of all of these incredibly big decisions that need to be made and how much ego is involved and how much how mm-hmm. much really in order to get something moving along, we need somebody that can negotiate helping people save face so that they can get out of positions that they fought themselves into. And yet ah, they're not there. So here's here's what I want to know. We've got to get them more in the workforce. I mean, not in, I mean, in the voice, really, and, and in the space where the conversations are being had and made. Um, what are some ways that you use to teach women to be more decisive, to be more to be, I guess, to getting in and being heard? Yeah. So, so when it comes to being decisive, I think get clear with yourself on your position, right? It's hard to be decisive and put a stake in the ground yeah. if, if you're not sure where you're leaning. You know, use your best GPS. Really ask yourself, 
what would I regret doing um, or not doing regarding this issue? Often you'll get a quick answer. You can even project into the future and ask yourself, what would the the 10-year, you know, smarter, older me, how would that person counsel me on this issue? Mm. You know, trust yourself and then act. Um, You know, I think a big piece of this in terms of deciding you're going to be a more decisive person is letting go of perfectionism. Yeah. You know, there's no leader that says, oh, you know how I got here? I'm a perfectionist. That's what I attribute to my wonderful success. Yeah, that's not high level. Right. They make mistakes. They put it out there. Yeah. You don't hear that. Yeah, they they are often, I think, part of accepting um, that you're going to be decisive is I'm going to be working with imperfect information. And I'm going to have to uh, put a stake in the ground anyway and, and hazard a guess with the information I have. Hmm. You know, so so much of this is trusting yourself. Don't insist that you need 10 out of 10 in order to move forward with your great idea in a meeting. Yeah. You don't need 10 out of 10. You know, I think it's just a matter of time before you realize all of us are winging it all the time. You know, the person next to you, they certainly don't have 10 out of 10 boxes checked oh, no. before venturing, you know, their idea. But as I guess that's part of the deal is maybe some of us posture better, don't we? I guess we, we look mm. more like we're confident, but we're really just posturing and I mean, maybe we're selling it, I guess. But is that is that something that a lot of women might struggle with is is the just the doubt, the the, the fear of what? What you know, they might make the mistake that they're not, they are missing a point. What if they bring up that one point? The one point, I mean, is that what's going on? Yeah, I think you're on to something very real and really true, which is, you know, if a man's not totally sure, he may still put that idea forward with confidence and um, optimism. That yeah, this could work. Yeah. Why couldn't this work, right? Um, a woman, we're often socialized to cast a little more doubt on it. To say you'll often hear a woman say, uh, "I'm no expert on this, but," mm-hmm. and then venture her idea. Well, unfortunately, that's not helping us. That's only um, eating away at our credibility, and yeah. and you know, kind of telling people what I'm about to say is pretty half baked. Yeah, so don't don't believe everything I'm about closely. to tell you. Yeah, exactly. So um, what we think may be coming across as us being careful and saying, listen, I'm not the world's leading expert on X topic, actually makes us look unsure Mm -hmm. and doubtful and causes other people to cast doubt. Mm -hmm. So there's something to be said for and something I've learned from interviewing lots of women leaders. They will give their idea cleanly, clearly, affirmatively knowing it's not going to be a home run every time. That's good. But, you know, you know they're yeah. not, no one's going to love it every time, and yeah. that's okay. But you'll go down swinging. You're not right. going to go down <laughs> just watching it. You know what? We're going to take a break, Selena. You know what's so amazing as I listen to this? Uh, I was raised by my mom, three sisters, and I think I'm a female communicator. I think I advocate because I, I do exactly what she just said. I'm not, I probably need to be, maybe on the radio I act more direct, but... You got to advocate for yourself and you got to stand up and you got to believe it and throw it out there. Even if they just pound it and beat it out of the park, you got to throw it out there. Um, Interesting stuff. We're talking uh, again 
with our, our wonderful guest, Selena Resvani, is joining us. She's the author of the book, Pushback, How Smart Women Ask and Stand Up for What They Want. When we come back, we'll wrap up this segment and continue the discussion. Stick with us. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, you don't own me. You don't own me. I tell it to Sean every day. You don't own me. Get off my back. Well, I don't pay your salary either. I should tell it to Don. Don, you don't own me. My wife does. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We're talking with Selena, Go- Selena Gomez. Not really. We're talking with Selena Resmani who is the author of the book Pushback. And uh, the pushback is how smart women ask and stand up for what they want. Uh, By the way, during the breaks, I'm just, I'm learning so much about myself and I'm dying to talk to Selena about this. Uh, Selena, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thanks so much, Matt. Not Selena Gomez. (laughs) If only. If If only. only. Think of how many books you could sell then. Um, (laughs) But Selena, as I sit here... uh, and I, again, I was raised by my mom and three sisters. And I really think, because I don't advocate well for myself many times. And I don't, I don't, I mean, I, to me, it just sounds like you're just being cocky if you keep talking about how great you are. But then in my own research in communication, that's one of the great things. Uh, Deborah Tannen in her book, You Just Don't Understand, talks about the difference between men and women. Men will constantly advocate because they're, they're wanting to maintain their hierarchy. Their positioning, mm-hmm. and women are trying to maintain relationships. So if you if you push your position too much, it impacts the relationship. We think so. A lot of times, maybe women play just for the friend instead of for the job or for the position. Well you know what I mean? I mean right. it's and it's real. And I think I was socialized that way, being with four women. I mean, I had a dad around; he was there, but still, I mean, you, you're going to kind of learn what you learn. You are, and it's going to be reinforced, right? Even if you grew up in a certain household, you're going to take cues also from your workplace. You know, you're going to see what's rewarded, what mold is for a successful man or a successful woman there. Isn't that? In fact, uh, in Little League football, Selena, answer me this. Little League football, I won the award for best sportsmanship, which is kind of like the consolation prize in the beauty queen. (laughs) And um, but you know why? Because I got to I I didn't love playing little league football when I was really young. I liked it more when I was older. And um, but I'd always make sure that all the other boys could also go out and play. So I'd go up to the coach and like you know I've had my turn. Why don't you send Jimmy out? Jimmy hasn't gone out yet. But um, you know I'm sure the coaches looked at me like, what a wuss. <laughs> Just play your position. Yeah, you know, that is a pretty modern approach because one one thing we find with negotiating is generally men like to take a more uh, a, a, an approach where they take more of the pie uh-huh. on the table. Women favor a distributive style where it's a more even kind of splitting of the pie on the table. Oh, interesting. Um, so interesting that that. You know, and yeah. very kind of modern. Let's be fair. That approach. Yeah. 
Let's rotate. Everybody rotate your position. Everybody should get a chance to be quarterback. Right. Yeah. See, that's just not male. Male is competition. No. The best compete. They get it. We're not here to just Mm – we're here to win. Now, that makes sense, I guess, on a ball team. But when it comes to voicing and having some of those wonderful traits you were just talking about um, that the women are bringing generally to the workforce – we need all of those things. I mean, we're sitting here in a workforce now that's so much more network oriented. Our marketing is even more uh, networked through social media. And we we need to have this connectability and this relationship kind of orientation that we've never had before. So we aren't going to win if we can't get the women's voices in. Yeah, I agree with you. It's all about trust-based relationships. And, and negotiating is really one powerful vehicle to get you there, you know, to, again, to air your grievances, to be direct and honest with people, to give them that chance to um, make right what you perceive to be wrong. Yeah. Talk about how I advance my career and how women should go about advancing their career then. When they go in and they see the boss and they're talking to the boss what what should they do to make sure that they're negotiating it effectively? So I think just number one, believe and realize you're not 100%, you know, owning and driving your yeah. career. So many women I interviewed who are successful said, I wish I hadn't underestimated that. So drive it, shape it, advocate for your career like it's a VIP work project. Hmm. Um, and I say that because most people don't, <laughs> most right. people don't run their career that way. Most people hope others will just kind of notice them and bring them along. Um, so don't do that, you know, commit to owning it. Then really ask yourself, where are my bargaining chips? How can I build up my bargaining chips? What, what I have that the other side really needs and depends on, um, you know, at work, that can be a specialty skill you have. It can be a book of contacts you know. You know, it, it really depends where you are, but there's all kinds of bargaining chips. Keep an, an inventory of your successes. You know, it could be a client accolade or, or praise you got, um, certainly something quantifiable. Keep your own log of what's going well, where you're adding value, and be willing to engage in these conversations and these negotiations to say, here's where my value is. Here's where I've made a demonstrable difference. I'd like to tie that to better compensation, to more responsibility, you know, to having a bigger impact here. And, and literally so saying mean, like that, I want this. Say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't beat around the bush. Yeah. I would um, kind of you know, like to maybe have, if you would maybe kind of think it would work, different. But I know it's been a hard year for the company, right? Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. so many ways we can hedge <laughs> yeah, exactly. in our position. And I'm going to ask you to do the opposite of that. You know, this is just about building a, a small but compelling case. And then saying, here's what I'm proposing, here's the evidence that backs up my request, and then I like to preempt the objections of the other side. Mm. You might be wondering if. Yeah. You know, and walk through some of the obvious objections. You know, why do this now? Why do it this way? 
uh, and have, you know, have a couple good reasons. That's very hard to say no to. Well, you know, you can write this all out. You can plan uh-huh. it and think it and write it and script it just like you would any presentation. And then you don't have to go in and present it that way, but get prepared. I mean, it sounds like a lot of this is just, you know, being daring to do it, daring to say it. And I, maybe if you had it written down, you could just go in and more calmly just state what you want. Oh, I think so. And, and, and you probably experienced this too. When we're really well prepared, we sit up a little, you know, straighter. Yeah. Oh, we project yeah. our voice a little more. Um, you know, we have more conviction for what we're asking for. So, you know, never underestimate. There's so much power in the preparation phase. You know, really know your stuff. The better you know your material, the more you can flex in the moment and um, react really smartly when the conversation's unfolding. Well, what if um, what if you hear something being said in a meeting or in this meeting that you don't agree with? How do you take issue without coming off, you know, whiny or just mean? Yeah, you know, I I think if you're not agreeing, um, I would look for the evidence. Yeah. You know, I I would use something that's hard to refute. If you don't have evidence, you could try saying something like, the research shows, mm-hmm. um, based on my 10 years in advertising, I've never seen. Mm-hmm. Nine out of 10 dentists. Like yeah. You could use any <laughs> right. statistics. Yeah. yeah. No, but it's true. But, but it's use real data. And we assign importance to years of experience in a field or, hey, the trends in our industry are moving in X direction. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to take a position that's unpopular, you want to start there. You don't want to kind of say, you know, my gut tells me this isn't right for us yeah. as a company. Um, you really want to make it hard to refute. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it doesn't help. It doesn't hurt rather to, to have some allies and supporters. So you could even ask yourself, is there interest? Are there champions here I could engage who, who would rally for the same thing I want to rally for? To build the coalition before you even get in there. That's right. Build the coalition. Um, You know, if you do sense you're in that meeting and someone's not kind of giving you the whole truth, you can try like a non-judgmental observation. Mm -hmm. You know, you might say to someone, you know, look, I I thought I noticed you roll your eyes in there. No, that's it. Yeah. You know, when I... What I made the announcement. Like, did I see that right? Can, yeah. Could you tell me? Tell me what you're thinking. There, yeah, yeah, exactly. You rarely are in a, put yourself in a dangerous position when you ask an That's open-ended good. question. That's right. Selena Resvani, we so appreciate you and love the work you've done on the book Pushback. Everybody go look at her website, selenaresvani.com. Go check out the book Pushback, How Smart Women Ask and Stand Up. For what they want, this is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. It's my life. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, my friends, we are talking about assertiveness for women. And uh, just had a wonderful uh, guest, Selena Resvani, joined us. And she told us all about her book. Um, and interestingly, when we get into to women and their need to be a little more assertive, you know, everyone's like, ah, go on. We fight. We turn this into a battle. Yeah, come between on. Men women, and women are assertive enough yeah. as it is. But the reality is, folks, um, we 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 are not enemies. I'm Guys. trying to teach my daughters to be assertive. Yeah. Well, yeah. You got to be able to take care of yourself. That's right. And I'm trying to teach my guys to be assertive because for some reason my boys aren't assertive. Mm. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe you should spend more time with them. Maybe that's the perfect combination. <laughs> when you have your boy, my your daughters and my boys together, well, I guess no one would be assertive. Uh, I'm not going on a family trip. Sorry. Who would make the first move? <laughs> Let's talk to James about first moves. For oh, a there we go, James. Uh, you and Malanki. Yeah. What's her name? What's uh, her name? Malanki is really close. Molly. 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 You and Molly. Uh, first moves. Okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> gee, nothing like putting him on the spot. Was she more assertive, or were you more assertive? We were both equally assertive. Wow. I know, right? At the exact same time. Yeah. Miracle. Timing was impeccable. Uh, fantastic. Mm. It really was. Impeccable yes, assertiveness. They both, they both picked up the knives at the same time. <laughs> Are you thinking what I'm thinking? <laughs> Shwink! Yep. These knives come out. <laughs> <laughs> Hands touch, eyes meet. Well, it sounds romantic. Oh, Hello, yeah. my name is Inigo Montoya. <laughs> yeah. You killed my father. <laughs> Prepare to die. <laughs> hey, um, uh, just on this little coaching section, we I wanted to hear a story. Sean dug yeah. up a story from India. I thought this was very interesting, actually. How, how, do you think you could run a film industry? In the film industry, you're going you're gonna to need makeup artists. You bet. Okay. Well, you're going to need a lot of stuff. Well, yeah. But, but yeah. makeup artists yeah. are, you know. So there's a group in India mm-hmm. who are kind of in, kind of a union of, of makeup artists. I don't think it's an actual union. but Bali, In Bollywood. Yeah. They're the CCMAA, the Cine Costume Makeup Artists and Hairdressers Association. Come on. Yeah, uh, something like come that. Come on. Uh, uh. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. But it seems like they had this unofficial ban that women could not be makeup artists for movies in India. Really? Yeah. Well, maybe it's because women wouldn't know anything about makeup. Oh, yeah, that's possible, I guess. They banned – okay, so when did they do this? Because that doesn't – that sounds like something from the 20s. Well, it – yeah, it was. It's been about six decades Holy that they've so been, been doing that this. Long for real. Yeah, it has. Uh, but there was a, a, a lady, uh, Charu Kurana, and she trained at a makeup school in Los Angeles, but found it was impossible to get work as a makeup, makeup artist in Bollywood. In Bollywood. Well, film producers wanted her wanted to hire her. Why? I mean, is it is it a religious? Organiz- what is it about? I mean, is it too? Are we being too close? Because you know, if you had to put all these prosthetic face noses and body parts all over people, you know, it to, doesn't to decorate they, they don't say. to be an alien. All I know is that there is a judge though that said enough. You will be hiring women from now on Good to boy. be makeup artists. He's how can he? According to the, um, or I'm sorry, according. Yeah, this was the judge, Judge Deepak Misra. How can it be said that only men can be makeup artists and women can be hairdressers? 
Because they did hire women as hairdressers, right. but not as makeup artists. We don't see a reason to prohibit a woman from becoming a makeup artist if she is qualified. And in telling the association to remove the gender clause, the judge said, we are in 2014, not 1935. <laughs> Such things cannot continue even for a day. Good so it was job. the association that was blocking the – It was the association, okay. not, the, not the actual producers. It was the association that they belonged to. See, but this is probably what is frustrating women so much is because they have yeah. to go sue to get, to get a job. Exactly. Mercy. It's ridiculous. And there's there, – it's not even – see, that's in that's in India. And But the thing is, I mean, Bollywood, that's a prolific movie-making yeah. I mean, place. Big league. They're making like 1,500 movies a year. Yeah. There's a lot of work. A lot – that's a lot of makeup. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I can do my own makeup, so I get why I wouldn't want people – Especially for radio. Yeah. I'm the only guy that gets totally made up. For his radio show. Yeah, how much time do you spend on your makeup? Well, if I do all my body makeup, <laughs> full body makeup, and which landscaping, is unfortunate. <laughs> that takes days. <laughs> I, but I, but I, I like to, I like to, you know, put, soak my feet. I think I, I think I now know why your sons are not assertive. I think so too. <laughs> They've been traumatized watching <laughs> their dad do exactly. full body makeup. What are you doing? Exactly. Get out of here, Dad's soaking his feet. <laughs> In my petty, in my manny. Hey, um, this. so it's not just Bollywood that's the problem. Oh, no. Even here in River City. That's right. We still discriminate against women in ways we don't discriminate against men. Yeah. Like, for example, we look at James, all skinny, mm-hmm. and we, you and I think, Sean, what a weakling. True. <laughs> what a puny True. little squinny squidwid. Well, the height doesn't help either. And the height. <laughs> okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> that's a news flash. So we sit there, and that's what we think. You thought we okay. were just like, look at his, he's in good shape. But yeah. no, because apparently people discriminate based on weight. And gender. And gender. So men that are overweight are discriminated against differently than women who are overweight. Yes. How so? Well, there is some research to kind of back this up. There, uh, this is an NPR story. Uh, Rebecca Hersher uh, from the show All Things Considered uh, talked about how being overweight hurts your earning capacity. Really? Mm-hmm. In 2004, there was a study that found a 65-pound increase in a woman's weight is associated with a 9% drop in earnings. You gain 65 pounds in weight, mm-hmm. you lose 9% of your income. Yep. Wow. They call it the obesity penalty. And it basically amounts to losing about three years of experience in the workplace. See, by the way, if you add to that the New York taxes for a soda. There you go. So you're not only overweight, but you also drink soda. Double Mm -hmm. whammy, double taxation, without representation. Well, there is representation there. Oh, okay. I just just went on a tangent. Yes. You were just in the moment. I was in the moment. Yeah. Well, uh, but – That's not fair. uh, A law professor, Jennifer Chennault from Vanderbilt University – authored another study Mm -hmm. to look at some other hypotheses, such as maybe obese women are choosing to work in jobs that pay less. Maybe, yes, because maybe it's more comfortable to work Maybe they're less productive. Or perhaps employers are denying women these jobs based on how they look or because they don't like working with obese women. Discrimination. Right. But what her research indicated was that obese women are more likely to work in a physical activity job and less likely to work in personal interaction jobs. Really? So they're not going to go work retail sales or whatever because – so instead they'll go, mm-hmm. what, physical activity job. They'll go well, deliver mail. Two jobs at a paper company. 
you got a job in the warehouse, job in sales. Uh-huh. Working in sales means FaceTime. Yeah. More, you know. Are they, and they're self-selecting to do this. So Yes. Hmm. And so you're making more money because you're kind of the face of the company. Yeah. Uh, but then <laughs> uh, so a, a, a average weight woman is more likely to have uh, the job in sales. And she'll make more money. And, uh, rather than the job in the warehouse. What about the skinny guy that just runs the board? I don't know. Say anything about we didn't that? have any research on him. They're usually the highest paid. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a research. I, 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 I think, think that's they're the lowest research. paid, but the the girls on the team like him the most. Yeah. Okay. The interesting thing, though, uh, uh, Ms. Chanel found out that this trend does not apply to obese men. So obese men will go do sales still. Yeah. Well, that's probably how they got obese. Employers don't mind if an obese man is the face of their company, but they have a very different attitude toward obese women. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Subtle. Mm-hmm. It's just a subtle little discrimination. Yeah. But it is happening, hmm. according to the research anyway. Which is why I'm offended when the ladies on our team always talk about me as eye candy. Sorry. Because I'm not just eye candy. Maybe in radio you are. (laughs) Maybe I'm ear candy. (laughs) That's what it is, yeah. (laughs) Like a nice caramel just melting in your mouth. Or in your ears. But not in your hands. (laughs) (laughs) Well, way to ruin that. Way to ruin that, James. (sighs) Anyway, let's just continue with the show. Okay. Well done on the research on weight and gender. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Heather Johnson's in the house. Hadge, we call her. No relation to the 60s hand model Madge. 70s hand model Madge from Paul Mollett. Actually, she was a nail artist. Oh, she's a nail artist. Yeah. Yeah. You're soaking in it. Yeah. Heather Johnson's here. She's going to teach us how we can teach our kids to be more assertive. And uh, we're going to be working on James. So he can be even more assertive with his girlfriend, Mona. We'll be talking about that when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Hadge is up next. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Let's just listen to this song for a minute. Oh, okay, we got to hear that. Okay, Helen Reddy. This is the song that I was raised on. This is the anthem for feminists worldwide. I am woman. Hear me roar. Rawr. Listen, pump it up. Strong. Invincible. And I just say, man. Mm. Mm. You feel it? Anyway. (sighs) James, put that one on a hotkey. I need to use that one a lot more. A lot of people would say, hey, that's not manly. And I would say, you're right. But it does honor women. And apparently they roar. Speaking of roaring women, Heather Ann Johnson's in the house. 
Hadge, we call her. <laughs> She's the 70s Palmolive nail <laughs> cuticle oh, gosh. worker. It gets better every week. Madge. Every week it just gets better and better. <laughs> Until we get a better nickname, Heather Ann Johnson, Hadge is it. <laughs> you know there's a new woman roaring song, right? Yes. Yes. That, that Katy Perry? Yeah. That, yes. Uh, yeah. Let's have James look that up and we'll go out with that one. Yeah, that's a good we'll one We'll take too. our first break. A little more modern. Yeah, well, but Helen Reddy. It's a classic. I mean, it's, it's a classic. don't dismiss Helen Reddy. It's a classic. You've seen Pete's Dragon. Pete's Dragon. <laughs> it has been quite some time. Well, I'll be honest. <laughs> you need to get back to it. Heather Ann Johnson is an adjunct faculty member here at Brigham Young University. She likes to – my daughter, by the way, is in her class and loves her. In fact, honestly, uh, Heather has officially taken um, – over my role as my daughter's favorite person. <laughs> I doubt that. Uh, true, true fact right there. But uh, Heather works and, and teaches about the principles behind successful families and the importance of spending time together as a family. She's also the author of the book um, Family Fun Fridays, which is a – I call it a family torturing book. <laughs> On how that it doesn't it doesn't sell it very well when I put it like it that. It doesn't. If you could leave that out, yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. No, it's it's more than torture. It's, it is. But it's how you can pull every muscle in your body with your family <laughs> together. Together. But at least you're doing it together. I think that's a great idea. Right. If you're going to pull your muscles, you may as well pull them together. But uh, Heather Ann uh, Johnson, aka Hadge, has been married for 13 years. Yeah. Five children, ages 12 to five months. <laughs> She's about Man. 11 months now. She's growing. Yeah, you've been on the show quite a bit. Yeah, we've, we're changing. They just keep getting older and older. And isn't that the weirdest thing? I keep trying to stop it, but I can't do anything Don't about it. Don't you hate it? it like when you have a bio that's out there and then someone reads your bio, but right. you're like, oh, yeah, that's about four years old. Yeah, we gotta, it, I got to stay on top yeah. of it better. Yeah. Four months, look. They always say like Matt and his wife Marty. My, Matt's greatest love in life is his wife Marty, and they've been married for 23 years. Right. No, they'd been married for 13 years. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that was 10 years ago. And they always say they've been happily married for 13 years, and I'm like, not really. I was happily married for 12 years, and we had a really hard one year. <laughs> but that's negative. So, Heather, you're going to teach us something because uh, I don't know if you know this. Um, I'm sure you do. But kids don't come always, you know, assertive. No, not so Some much. of them need to learn how to, like, stand up for themselves and turn that paper in. Go turn your paper in and ask your teacher why you got a bad grade. Sure. And talk right. to them, right? So being assertive for any of us but for a child, it's really this ability to express our opinions and our wants and our needs right. while still respecting the people around us. Yeah. That's what we're trying to teach our kids. So they need to understand it's not, you know, yelling at someone or demanding it, but it is standing up for what is right for us and what we believe in. And we have to teach them that. Now, the first thing we can do is kind of teach them the difference between assertiveness and aggressiveness. That's huge. Which is a really big deal. Doesn't aggressive just involve a weapon? It it does, a weapon, right? And hopefully we're not giving our children weapons, but they can use their hands as weapons or their words. Should you give your girlfriend weapons? (laughs) Probably depends. Are you going out or where? Yeah, they're going out (laughs) and they, but I wouldn't give her knives. Probably not. Okay. Probably not. Just checking. Just checking. So aggressiveness is when we impose our wants and needs on others. We demand and we impose. Assertiveness is when we're 
become good at expressing what it is we want and need and then we still have respect behind all of that. Yeah. You don't have to be a jerk to be assertive. Right. It's exactly right. You can express it without like a threat. Right. And that's where we go back to empathy, which we'll touch on. But the ability to see other people as people while you're still delivering a very solid concrete message. And that's what we want to teach them to do. Now, we mentioned that some kids come born with more assertiveness and some don't. What is the deal with that? And research does show us that. They tend to believe that assertiveness is inherited. Is it? But that doesn't mean that we can't teach it to our children who need it. Yeah. Okay. We do suggest, though, that when you have a child who tends to be less assertive or shy, we don't want to take that away from them so much. We don't want to change them. We simply want to empower them so that they can still be who they are. But when time is necessary, they can stand up. They have to stand up. They can stand up for themselves. So a couple of reasons why they don't tend to do this are really basic, and that is they don't want to get made fun of. And so oftentimes kids hesitate being assertive because they don't want to get in trouble. It extends their head out there. It puts them in the risk zone. They don't. It's exactly right. And even adults, I don't like the risk zone. No, no. So why would our five-year-old or our That's why you need an attorney. Right. (laughs) You can always throw an attorney in the risk zone. (laughs) But we don't want to go there. And so we want to help them understand that that – It's not going to be about being made fun of. It really is about believing in ourselves. So anything we can do as parents that builds self-esteem, that builds belief in our children's own abilities and self is going to help with assertiveness across the board. So let's go through a couple different points, a number of them, specific things we can do. And the first is we have to discipline our children. Mm. Now, usually we don't think, oh, we want them to be assertive. Let's discipline them. Yeah. It's kind of contrary. But it's not. If we don't discipline them, then they either become really whiny because our rules are too open-ended and so they become demanding or aggressive Mm -hmm. or they go the other way. And instead of being able to stand up for themselves where our rules are so tight that every time they do speak up, we shut them down and they don't speak up anymore. There you go. So we want to find a really good balance. So when we discipline our kids, just some things to keep in mind. First is we want to start young. That means birth right away. We have schedules and we have routines. Those things start to teach our children discipline. By the age of one, there clearly needs to be discipline, right, as as we work with them. We need to set limits. We need to make sure that that routine is kept. That routine needs to be consistent too, which means if bedtime is at 8, it's not just sometimes at 8. It's – Oh, see, that means you've got to be disciplined. That's exactly right. That's the problem. And that's where it kind of falls by the wayside. Mm -hmm. But if we teach them that it's just sometimes or that they're – then they lose that assertiveness. They lose because they're not seeing assertiveness from us. What if there's a really good game on? A really, really good game that you want to see. That I want to see and they might want to see. I guess the principle will still apply and we could just skip today. Or we could pause the game because we have the technology now and – record it mm. and take the 25 minutes to put our kids to bed and then come back to oh, the game. Oh, man. Look at smarty pants. And what then if we you can don't... watch it without any interruptions. What if you don't have the savvy to record it? You're not that advanced, hypothetically. Hypothetically. Who would one call? You would either call your children because okay. they probably know how to okay, do it. Okay, that's it. But what if my children are now in bed? <laughs> then you would say they're not because you're not willing to put them in there yet. There's the, there's the, the, <laughs> there's see, that's the, the vicious circle. Right, right. So really it, it's just stepping back and yeah. saying, wait a second. We're trying to help them develop these skills, assertiveness they need from school to work to when they order at McDonald's. Everything they yeah. do, they need assertiveness. So it's where we take a step back and say, you know what? It's just a game. 
Mm-hmm. 20 minutes is going to kill me. We put them to bed so that we stay. We're consistent. But it's discipline. You're just teaching them that there's patterns, there's structure, and we live in the structure, and then you can – and then you'll get to them. Right. And the thing is, are there exceptions? Of course. Of course. Sure. But for the most part, like we're trying – if grandma's trying, over. Right. We're trying they, to be We'll give consistent. her five minutes with right. the kids. Right. <laughs> Only five, not six. <laughs> yeah. So we want to be consistent. Here's another thing with discipline that we run into as parents. We want to make sure that we're always criticizing a behavior and not the child. Yeah. So for example – Stop that. Hitting hurts. That's what we want to say opposed to, hey, knock it off. You're being a brat. You big jerk. You You bully. Right? There's a huge difference there. And the reason it matters is because when we criticize them, it discourages them from standing up for themselves because we're attacking who they are. You're breaking them down. Right. And so we don't want to break them down. So when we're disciplining, we want to make sure we're focused on the behavior and not the child. And we also want to shy away from saying things like, because I said so. Oh, Right. That doesn't help with them being that just shuts down everything. It does. So we want to make sure we explain what we're asking. You need to go to bed so that you're not tired for school tomorrow. Not you need to go to bed because I said so. What if they debate you? I'm not going to be tired. I'm never tired in the morning. (laughs) You still are consistent. We still keep our ground. Right. And we still it doesn't become an argument and we don't have to explain for an hour. No. We simply make our statement yeah. and then we carry on. With and then if you, I've noticed if you just keep repeating the same, I always say, nevertheless, you're going to bed at eight. Right. And then so that you're that's not going to be tired tomorrow. Right. And we don't want to, again, say it for an hour because mm-hmm. it teaches them that if they just keep hounding us, they can get an that's hour it. out of us. Yeah. Right? And, and they know they know you're weak. Absolutely. And they know where our weaknesses are and they know just how to push them. So never let them we, <laughs> see your weakness. Never let them see our weakness. So if we're – then once we're doing this – we're understanding disciplining and we're being more assertive, if we want yeah. to use the word, with our discipline. We want to make sure that we're constantly modeling assertive behavior. If they see us get pushed on, uh, stepped over, then they – Right. That's exactly what they're going to see. So it's like, well, mom never stands up to the guy at the wherever. So they don't learn to do that. So we want to make sure that we're doing that for ourselves so that they see that. See, I've got to get on that because (laughs) if they brought me the wrong meal, you let them you just. Well, if it looks good, I'll eat it. Okay. (laughs) Like if it's a vegetarian meal, I'll be like, I got to talk about that. But I, yeah, oh, you got to stand up. Right. You have to stand up. for You got to be counted. Okay. We have to take a break. Okay, let's take it. Her name's Hadge, Heather Ann Johnson, adjunct faculty member, uh, lover of Katy Perry (laughs) and all things Roar. So we're going to uh, leave this segment with her favorite song, Heather Ann Johnson's favorite song, Roar, from Katy Perry. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back. Little Martina McBride, James Birdsall's favorite singer, Martina McBride. This one's for the girls. Speaking of girls, Hadge is in the house. Hadge, uh, a name given to Heather Ann Johnson, our BYU faculty member who's teaching us about families and successful families. We have a clip, I believe, of where we found the nickname for Heather Ann Johnson, Hadge. Hit it, James. 
You're soaking in it. In dishwashing liquid? <laughs> it's palm olive. Mild? <laughs> More than mild. Makes loads of suds at last. Mm. And no kidding, palm olive softens hands while you do the dishes. That's magic. There you go. Softens Match. hands. What is better than that? It's like you you soften families while we do the dishes. While <laughs> we're doing the dishes. The correlations. They just get better and better every week. See, I asked you if you had a, ne- a nickname and you didn't. And you said, uh, you just make one up. I regret that. Big mistake. I know. I didn't know at the time. You see, you hit me with that week one. Oh, yeah. And now we've been here long yeah. enough. I, I know better. Yeah. Don't – just for anybody out there listening that might someday be on the show. <laughs> Come up with your nickname make long Make your own nickname because you I've got – got a still trap of nicknames yeah. up here in my head. Because you never know what you could get. You, n- <laughs> you never know. I, and I watched a lot of TV. So Madge from the 70s, that's not that's not a stretch for me. There you go. So we've got Hadge from the 2014. There you go. Uh, Heather Ann Johnson here. By the way, go to her website, familyvolley.com. If you want to tweet her, at pen and paper girl. Yep. Uh, or uh, if you want to go to Vine, she's called Madge. <laughs> no, Hadge the new Madge. There we go. That's her Vine handle. Maybe I should start a new website. And that should be its name. It's good. I'll help you anyway I can. Hey, you've been teaching us how our children can learn to stand up for themselves without being mean. Right. Not aggressive, but assertive. Not aggressive, but assertive. Yes. James, are you listening? Yes. Are you sure? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, he, and, he and Monica, uh, he's, he needs to be more aggressive with Monica. Okay. Uh, not aggressive. Aggressive. Uh, assertive. Okay. Less aggressive. I hope you're listening better than Matt's listening. Yes, there I you am. go. Okay, and we all hope Monica's listening. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about our peers because oftentimes this is the first place that our children have to learn to be assertive. Yes. So we tend to have our children fall into situations where they kind of worship other kids, and yep. what we mean by that is they get into situations where they want to agree with them or do the same thing they be do. Popular, right? right. All for those same reasons. We want to discourage that. Yes. That's not going to teach our kids to be assertive. That's going to teach them really to have no opinion. Well, that's like a bully because if right. the bully could seem – but that's just aggressive and then our child thinks that that's being strong. Right. And so we don't want that. So if we have kids – and we're dealing with this with our daughter right now. She's almost 10 and there's some girls at school, one in particular, that tend to be very much that way. Mm-hmm. So if all the other girls don't agree or support, they hear about it yeah. and she spreads rumors and she kind of does things mm. like that. And so we've had to work with her a lot and and get her to move away from that peer worship so that she can stand up for herself. Yeah. And so we have to teach our kids first, you decide for yourself and that is fine. You got to know what's right and wrong for right. you. And then run you with stand it. up. Right. It. And run with that. Now, the other thing is sometimes we'll tell our kids to do that and they still won't take a stand. Ugh. So our daughter's getting much better at it. But at first it was like, oh, I don't really well, it's one care thing to what know, you say. I guess. Huh? Right. But it's nothing to put it out there in the peer group and have to do it. Yeah. And it's a lot different. So even if they find themselves in that example, we want to make sure that we still teach them not to give in. And then we want to talk them through and say, for example, how do you feel when I don't give in to you? Hmm. Do you still know I love you? And they'll look at us and say, well, of course. Yeah, Yeah. I know you still love me. It's just we're making decisions here. And then we can relate that to what they're doing at school. And we can say, you know what? Even if you stand up for yourself, it probably isn't going to change what she does, how she treats you, any of that. They will still like you or be your friend. And here's the caveat. If they're not, you don't want them as a friend anyway. So true. So we have to teach them that they see through, you know, that and become very transparent with how they really do feel. You don't have to like pizza just because she does. Well, and it's the, it, 
it seems like if they're kind of the brute bully, right? Then they're probably not offense offendable anyway, right? And so we don't want that kind of friend. And so right. now you're really teaching them assertiveness, but you're teaching them that their self worth that's cool is above and not tied to mm-hmm. anyone else. It's their own, and that what they do think doesn't matter if you're standing up for what you know and you that's believe so in. Good. They have to learn that. Yeah. And so we do this through learning to be assertive and. Opportunities at school will come up every day. So talking them through that. It's is funny big. because like my boys that are 12, I think <laughs> – I think they're 12. Uh, <laughs> you got to change that but bio. But he's got really strong <laughs> girlfriends that are friends that are girls. Uh-huh. But they're very assertive, uh-huh. uh, borderline aggressive. <laughs> and uh, he's like, but dad, she can tackle me. Um, but what's weird about him is he's afraid of him. Sure. And he he finally just – Put his foot down. Right. Like, no, I'm not hanging with you guys. You guys talk too much about other people. And they all got in line. Sure. And they'll but follow right But he had to right take along. them on. And he had to stand up. And that's a really cool thing. Once we stand up, we can start to see other people follow along, right? Then and you're the leader. Suit. That's and, leadership. Right. And then you're the leader instead of being aggressive or instead of being passive when you get stepped on. Right. And like you mentioned, you know, we haven't gone r- the bully route today, but really not being assertive sets our children oh, up for bullying. Because the bully sees that. That's okay, who they this prey is on. one that I'll just crush. Right. And so we want to teach them these things so that they can steer clear of that bullying and know how to handle it if That's it good. does come about. Very good. So some other things that we might not think about. It's really important for us to teach our children what what I call I statements. Yes. Meaning E-Y-E. Right. <laughs> or is it the other I? It, it's, it's your single letter, right? So being statements that start with I rather than you. Yeah. So these are statements that are going to help us stand up for ourselves and teach them to be assertive instead of aggressive. So we're sending the message to let others know how we feel. When we say you, it's judging and attacking. Mm -hmm. And so that's also going to bring about some bullying if it's always you do this or you do that. It's placing blame. So we want to use I statements. This will help a marriage. Absolutely. So if you're this is this is great because you're owning your own your words. own stuff, right? Yeah. Your own everything. And here's kind of the pattern because we can say this to children and then they say, well, they still don't get it. Mm-hmm. So we can go through a very succinct pattern of words to help them. First, we want them to say, I feel and state the feeling. So I feel hurt. I feel angry. I feel tired, whatever it might be. The next part of the statement is going to be when you, which is describing the action. So it's very simple. I feel angry when you take my book, when you crush my Lego tower, whatever it might be. And so we're doing that. Lastly, it's because I or we're going to say why. Mm. So we want to teach them to first say how they feel. I feel angry. I feel frustrated. Right. When you. When you take my book and because without asking because I don't. Um, I don't know. I can't find I don't my do book that after. to you. Yeah, or I don't do it to you. you lost my page mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. Yeah. So we want to teach them to state how they feel, describe the action, and then say why. Mm. Now, once they get a little That's bit a older, lesson. we can add something into that and we can add in a part where they ask for what they want. Yeah, a petition. Or like, what and they I'd need. rather that you right. do this. And I need you to or I want you to stop taking my things. Mm-hmm. So instead of our kids running around the house or, you know, coming to me saying this is happening or letting their brothers and sisters take their stuff or ruin their stuff and saying, oh, you always ruin my stuff. It bugs me. Mm-hmm. And getting aggressive, right, which yeah. usually leads to somebody hitting someone or – Game on. Right. Yeah. And then exactly someone right. – then the cops come. We want them to learn <laughs> – hopefully not, but okay. to be assertive, to say this is how I feel because you did this. And this is what I need you to do yeah. in the future. So good. So you just you could remind them. Hey, go go talk to them using right. an I statement. Right. Remember we talked about that. I feel 
instead of you always take my stuff yeah. or you made this happen yeah. or we're we're getting into that anger and that blaming. So these I statements are really, really powerful. That's something you can put on the fridge. Right. And then go take them both to the fridge and we're going to talk. Right. And we're going to talk about that. Another thing, speaking of fridge talk, mm. we want to teach our kids the difference between tattletaling and informing. Yeah, let's get this. James, are you listening to this? Okay. Tattletaling yeah. and informing. Now, oftentimes kids aren't assertive because we've taught them not to tattletale. So yeah. we say, don't come Quit tattle- tattling. Quit tattling on your sister yeah. or your brother. And they don't then understand when to speak up and when not mm-hmm. to speak up. So we want to teach them the difference. Now, I have a great uh, printable you can go get that teaches us the difference between Go to the familyvolley.com. Right, and tattling. And you can just type in tattletale. But really, if you think about it, some characteristics. Informing. The purpose is to keep people safe. Tattletaling. The purpose is to get someone in trouble. See, I have, my kids right? are Informing. masters of this. You inform when you need help from an adult. You tattletale when you can solve it by yourself. And so this, again, just like the I statements, you can post that on your fridge, the difference between I and you. But you can put something like this on your fridge. And when your kids are trying to decipher, Mm -hmm. instead of arguing again, hey, you're tattletaling again, send them to the fridge. Let them look at the list and they can compare themselves. Oh, I'm informing or I'm tattletaling and decide. And again, we're back to assertiveness. We're teaching them to take charge. See, look at this, though. We're teaching them to speak up. Here's the deal, Hadge. Okay. Let's hear it. Just like with Madge, right. Madge would take her her client's hand, okay, and she would stick it in a ball in a little cup full of palm olive, right, to soften, I guess, the cuticles. Okay, <laughs> I don't know what she was doing other than that, but it's it's a process, and you're teaching us this process that it's not enough to just tell our kids to stop something, right? You have to replace it with a skill, right? This make you make parenting. Very difficult for parents. <laughs> no, no, because listen. Because we learn. If you take one or two times to teach them the right. difference between these things, it makes the rest of your life. But don't you think that's a lot the, better? That's the rub because a lot of parents don't necessarily think they should do the teaching. But this is everything you do. You always teach us. That's why we're here, right? That's, it. that's, that's why you had children, and that's why children have parents. Supposedly, supposedly, because it's our job to teach them and empower them with all the skills they need to be adults, yeah. who are competent, right? Now that now they can be assertive without being a jerk, right? And they, they can get some results in life, right? And so when we're teaching this assertiveness, even other things like giving them opportunities to be assertive. Uh, my parents were so good at this, especially my dad. When we were very young and we'd go to a restaurant, we had to order for ourselves. I know. Oh, that's fine. And we had to speak up and say, this is what I would like. And it had to be followed with a please and a thank you and all of that. So we learned to ask for what we needed. That's good. Or if the lady came back and said, well, that might be too spicy for you. Then it was my job to assess, okay, spicy, and say to her, you know what? I would still like that, please. Thank you for getting it from me, right? There you go. We learn to do these things. And in fact, we just did this with our daughter this weekend. My husband set, sent her in to pick up the pizza. So he stayed outside in the car where he could see. This is your four-year-old. This is our four. four actually, it's our three-year-old. Okay, right? we wow. We sent her in. And she took the one-year-old in. Did she take her, the credit right? card? <laughs> she did. <laughs> That's great. So our daughter, who's almost 10, okay. went in. And it was so fun as he was describing the situation to me because I wasn't there, she had to go in and she had to ask a couple of people if they were in line first because she didn't know where the line, they were just in the way. So she first had to go in and say, are you in line? And then 
assess and decide where to go. She had to ask the woman a couple questions and if the order was correct. This is big league. This is big. Now, giving them those opportunities in a very casual situation like ordering when we're there or pizza when Mm -hmm. we're safe teaches them again to stand up for what they need so that when it is their turn as they get older, they know how to do that. But if we don't provide opportunities as parents, they'll never learn. If we always order, if we always speak up, then they don't have to do it. Did she pay though? Did she she pay? She did pay. With her money? With our money. Okay, darn. Because it's not her job yet to buy our Because if you, if you could get her to pay, we'd be in a good place. Now you know you've got a motivated child. <laughs> we pro- she needs a job first, and then we could do that. You know, she's um, she sounds marriageable in she, like twenty years. Sure, sure, not now. Because what's her name? Maybe I could. Some... I got a guy. I got a. I you got know, a, a guy who's about ten. I know a guy that's okay. almost ten. We could set that up. And right? you know what's amazing about it? They'd be a great combination because he can't go in and ask for pizza. He well, there, there he goes. So she, so could, she would could at least be able to exactly provide. Right. Food. So we've got these opportunities to practice. We're going to let them practice at home and we're going to do that through role play Mm -hmm. so that when they get to those situations and we did this with her before she even went into that, you know, pizza place. Yeah. When they ask this, what will you say? What if they say this? What will you say? Now, role playing, and I've said it with you before, is one of a parent's most powerful parenting tools. Uh, I think back even to things they taught us in school with drugs. Remember how they'd say, what do you say when someone offers you drugs? No. And you practice over and over and over. Yeah. So that when the situation comes, we automatically are programmed to know what to say. It's the same way with being assertive. At home, practice. What do you say if he takes your toy and you had it first? Yeah. <laughs> Pull out your weapon that I gave you when you yeah. went to school. But we've got to work through those you things. Do the, you do the I statement. We now, do. Can we just really quickly – um, because Maddie, who's going to be coming up next, and James, they have this age-old fight. Okay. Where Maddie comes in because Maddie's in charge of co-ed um, volleyball – or not volleyball, frisbee. Ultimate, ultimate frisbee. Ultimate frisbee. Okay. On campus. Yeah. Okay. And she – it's gone to her head. <laughs> not to be rude. But um, gone to her beautiful red head. And James, she always comes in and is like, so James, are you going or not? You going or not? You going? You going? You're not going? You loser? You going with Malonka? You going? Where are you going? Okay. So we need to take, teach, teach James teach to be James, assertive. Teach him to be assertive. Can you just teach him how to do an okay. I statement so, James, let's, about I'm not going to volleyball? Let's hear an I statement for Ultimate Frisbee. First state, you feel how? How do you feel when she comes in feel? and like forces you to go? I feel. Frisbee. I feel. Maddie, oppressed. I feel. Maddie, I feel oppressed. When you when you continually threaten me, ask Threat, me to uh, yeah. When, no, when you continually threaten, ask, when you what force me to go and play ultimate frisbee because I because I would don't rather want. hang out with <laughs> my girlfriend than play ultimate frisbee. Yeah, that. And I need you to stop. stop. Cool. Asking me, me like that, <laughs> and just let me not play. Why is he sweating? I don't. He's was terrified. that hard? She's it was standing, hard. She's standing way, right. Did next you notice to me. right when we started doing that? She walked right in and stood right next to him. There you go. And like just Pressure. glared. It was scary. But scary. how did that feel? Was that empowering? It was empowering. It was empowering, right? But you, really scary at the same time. At the you know same what? Time. So I'm that's terrified where we role for play. <laughs> <laughs> we'll escort you to yeah, your car. We'll take Thank you. Wow, Hadge. That was perfect. Good stuff. You simple stuff, right? Very simple. And I've learned. I've learned. I'm going to go. I need 
your list. Everybody go to familyvolley.com. Look up Tattletale, Tattletale uh-huh. and you, you'll get a free list there that you can put on your – it's a really nice graphic, beautifully done graphic. Put it in like six places I'm in your lam- house. I'm the laminating room, mine. The fridge. I'm, I'm going to yeah. laminate it, and it's going to be all over our house. There you go. Uh, you going to stick with us, Hadge? Yep, I'll be here. Because when we come back, uh, Maddie is going to continue to teach us the power of women, famous women, even those that compel people to play Ultimate Frisbee. Power. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, kiddos, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we've been talking about uh, women... And assertiveness. To be empowered to share your voice. Find your voice. Find out what is most important in the studio with his Hadge. Heather Ann Johnson still here? Yep. Paying tribute to Madge from the 70s. <laughs> and uh, also, probably one of the most empowered women on the face of the earth, Maddie Richard. I can't tell if that was a compliment or not. I we think call it, her. I think it was. I don't no, know. you are. You are the. Um, who don't. is the prime minister of England? Matt, Maggie Thatcher. Oh, Margaret wow. Thatcher. We call you the Mormon Maggie. Oh, wow. That is my new name. I like it. I will Strong, take it. Strong. Empowered. Thank you. I think that was a compliment. Thank that you, That was Matt. a total compliment. Speaking of Margaret Thatcher. Yes. Oh, was she on your list? No, she's not. Oh, it's because I, when I read that, I'm like, wow, I, okay, empowered so women. I was assigned to make a list of empowered women. Other than Hadge. Other than Heather and myself and Merritt and Alyssa and the women. And all of show. our mothers. Yeah, and everyone's moms and, and sisters grandmothers. And yeah, grandmothers all those people. And friends. You're right. So I was thinking and, you know, there's so many women that I could have put on this list. So I tried to go for some women who maybe don't get as much recognition. Go. There you go. So we're going to start, actually, with Edith Cavill. Do you even know who that is, Matt? No. Do you know, Heather? I don't. I don't Edith so Cavill. Edith Cavill was a British nurse, and she is widely known, I guess not widely known, but known for treating Allied soldiers escaping from Belgium, which was occupied by the Nazis at the time. Really? And she was arrested and put to death for treason. Holy cow. Against her country. And uh, she was shot by a German firing squad, even though there were protests. She was a woman. She should die in a different way. We should give her a different trial because she's a woman. And she was a nurse, and she was saving lives and all those things. And she uh, was still executed. And what a hero. What a brave, amazing person to stand up to that and do that. And how perfect is that for tomorrow's celebration? Exactly. Don't you think? Yeah. So Edith Cavill is is number one on my list. Number two, I have... Susan B. Anthony. Yes, my favorite coin. (laughs) So I was in fourth grade and we had to do a historical play for history fair. Instead of the science fair, I participated in history fair. Did you choose Susan? Uh, We did – my group and I did a show on the women suffragettes. There you go. And one of them was Susan B. Anthony. It wasn't me, but one of the girls was Susan B. Anthony. And she is a woman suffragette and abolitionist and just an crazy, crazy, amazing, empowered woman who stood up for things yeah. that used she believed in. Yeah, when you know women were encouraged not to use their voice about that kind of stuff. Right. So she's another woman that I think was incredibly empowered for her time and, and is 
the reason that women today in America have so much. And, and so I, much. I think to this day is still the only $1 coin, isn't she? That's, oh, Sacagawea. Yeah, another empowered woman. Another empowered woman. woman. There you go. What's yeah. the deal with $1 coins and, and women? women? Yeah. That means, We're worth a lot. Yeah, we are. Don't men deserve a coin? I mean, a $1 <laughs> coin? No, you have every other coin and bill. There you go. Okay. Oh, I'm good with that. <laughs> okay, good. So the next one I have is Dolly Madison. <sighs> Dolly. And Great baker. A lo- oh. Great baker. Man, that girl could make some serious snack cakes. Snack cakes. Oh, goodness. Um, Is there no. a different Dolly Actually, Madison? Actually, no. Yeah. So as far as first ladies go, I think Dolly Madison gets overlooked a little bit just because we have, you know, Jackie Kennedy, yeah. Eleanor Roosevelt, Martha, Martha Washington. Washington, Mary Todd Lincoln. So Dolly Madison, though, Beyonce. is such a... <laughs> I like Nancy oh, Reagan. Oh, you I, – Nancy Reagan, wonderful. Beyonce, <laughs> not so much. Wasn't a first lady. Good try, though. Oh, good point. Well, she is Jay-Z's first lady. She is. Temporarily. That is true. I mean, for <laughs> however long that lasts. We don't want to <laughs> cast wanna, aspersions. Yeah, right. Or put time limits Yeah, we can't anything. do that. No. So we'll, we'll move on. Yeah. So Dolly Madison is just known for – I guess she's not well-known, but she's known for during British invasions of the White House – Going in and retrieving so many things that are valuable and now yeah. are in historical archives and museums. For example, one of them that she went and grabbed was the portrait of George Washington. And it's said by witnesses that she was walking out the back door of the White House while the British were walking in the front door. Cool. And her husband was traveling. Yeah. While she, her well, house what was, was everyone else doing? Like, did no one else I'm think, sure. save everything? No, I'm sure they <laughs> like, were, the crazy. people are going to come burn this, build know, this see, house that's, down. There, and she was empowered enough right to there. realize we live in this brand new nation i'm gonna save some of these things and brave enough to stand up to those british soldiers and go grab those things as they were coming to destroy her home totally powerful beautiful right um we have about 10 seconds who's your favorite maddie so my the last one i want to talk about is malala yusufazi (gasps) she's engaged to james no malala here no. I think she's oh. yeah, Say it real fast because she's my favorite. She, she is, is a, Pakistani, a Pakistani yeah. woman who was going to be killed for going to school. That's where She that ended up writing from. a book yeah. and she stood up for what she believed in against the Pakistani tribe oh, leaders. Cool is that? And is a co-Nobel Peace Prize winner. And they shot her. For, I mean, no, she, she took a bullet right to the, to the face, face and lived. Exactly. Yeah. And she stood up oh, man. after all that and is now empowering women in Pakistan everywhere. It's and everywhere. That's it. See – Beautiful list. And what's her name again? Malali? Malali? It's Malala Yousafzai. Oh. See? Power. Power. Yep. Assertiveness. Assertiveness. Confidence. I am woman. Hear me roar. Well done, everybody. Thanks for being here. Uh, Heather Ann Johnson, a.k.a. Hajj, familyvolley.com. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks to all of us. Uh, all of us. Thanks to all of you who listen. Again, we couldn't do the show without you. Remember this quote from C.S. Lewis. We are what we believe we are. Ladies, please believe uh, you are important, essential, critical to life and a good life, and uh, we honor you for that. We're going to be back tomorrow, Veterans Day. We'll have a best of show honoring the women of World War II, and uh, thanks again for joining us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll talk again tomorrow.